Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. One of the highlights for me in ministry to watch the church gather around the table. Um, it is a blessed moment for me when I see us uh, doing that which Christ has commanded us to do and called us to do and invited us to do. Um, to see young and old and new and... Um, it's just, it's a blessing to me. Um, some of my most powerful moments uh, in my faith have been during times of communion. And I hope that that can become true for you. Um, well, welcome. Um, my first opportunity to welcome you today. Uh, there's a bunch of people here, and I just want us to take a brief moment. Would you take a moment and just say hello to the people around you? Maybe across the aisle. Uh, just take a moment and say hello High five, fist bumps, all those good things. Learn a new name. Admit that you have forgotten someone's name. We're okay here. Now that you've actually like said hello to some people, I want to throw in a question that I would like you to share with each other. And this is a little bit of a dicier type of a question. Uh, and it's this, what, ju- what does judging others look like? What does judging others look like? Go, share. Love hearing chatter. You think you liked each other. Well, hey, this morning as we uh, kind of bring it back to the messages, uh, I, I just I've been thinking about this this practice of ours of judging. Uh, how many of you have ever been judged by someone else incorrectly? Right. For some reason, they 
determined something about you and you were so flipping mad because they got it wrong. And if they just knew your heart, they would understand how wrong they were. Um, well, let me follow that question up with another one. How many of you have judged someone incorrectly? Uh, all right. Yeah, I think that we live in a culture that just kind of programs us and gives us permission to judge others. And so today I want us to get into the scripture as we continue our journey through uh, these 40 days uh, leading up to Easter. Remember, next week is Palm Sunday. How many of you, does it feel like it's re we're ready for Palm Sunday? Okay, I'm not the only one. Uh, I don't know about you, but this season has just been awkward for me. Um, it's always awkward for a pastor because pastors live in like Lent or Advent a lot longer than the congregation does. And so by the time Easter or Christmas gets here, this is like confession time, you know, peel back the curtains. Uh, a lot of pastors are ready to be done with those seasons because they've been in it for so long. But as, as we are approaching uh, Easter, next week is Palm Sunday, the day that we reflect on Jesus entering into Jerusalem um, at the beginning of a week that would turn out, um, one might say, very badly for him. But in the grand scheme of things, we might also be able to say it's a week that turned out really good for us. Um, and so we, we, wanna, we want to enter into, we call it Holy Week, with Palm Sunday. So next week, come out. We're going to celebrate Jesus's, we call it the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then on Easter, the week after that, two weeks away, we are going to be gathering for an Easter celebration where we, the people of God, and everyone that you're going to invite gets to celebrate resurrection today together. So uh, a couple things I want, to, I want to ask of you. One, this. Um, imagine... Your grandmother, because grandmothers have more clout than grandfathers at, uh, in this scenario, your grandmother says, I want you at my house for Easter. How many of you are going to turn granny down? Good, wise people. Um, I know I don't look like granny, but can I step into the role of granny? this morning to say, can we, the church, gather in mass on Easter? Can we recognize that if there are any days that you are going to miss, Easter is not one of them. For we, the people of God, are formed and shaped around the reality of resurrection. And if we miss that, if we miss rehearsing that and reflecting upon that, we are on a bad footing. And so I just want us all to commit to showing up on Easter and bringing those people that you have been investing your life in um, to say, hey, maybe, maybe this is the only time you'll ever come to church, but would you come to church with me on Easter? Studies have shown, surveys have shown that there are a lot of people out there who are just waiting to be asked to come to church. So help people come to church so that they can be a part of church, okay? Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this journey uh, through these 40 days. I was blown away last week at the word of God that God spoke to us through Pastor Craig. And um, I have just kind of been sitting with that all week, and I appreciate your faithfulness, Craig. Uh, 
and uh, just your faithfulness for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Uh, go there in your uh, Bible, your Bible app. Um, Real Life has an app that has a Bible feature in it. Uh, you might want to read up here, but can I just encourage you as a church, let's get in the habit of having a Bible that we go to daily. Let's be that people that interact with Scripture on a daily basis. I want to read for you God's Word, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Church, this is the word of God for the people of God in the world. And we all say together, thank you, Jesus. Every time I go to scripture, I'm reminded of something, and that is this. We cannot read and study scripture in a vacuum. When we read and study scripture, we do so with a lot of stuff going on around us. Sometimes it's noise. Sometimes it's loud and it's cacophonic. Is that a word? Is it a word? It's going to be a word now. Write it into your dictionaries. Cacophonic. Um, sound that is just so like chaotic that it's hard to focus on anything. Sometimes we read and study scripture uh, in, in, in silence. It's quiet around. Our hearts are clear. Our minds are clear. And we're able to focus on scripture. Uh, but whatever the case may be, and wherever the spectrum, land, where you land on that spectrum, we have to recognize that Scripture cannot be engaged in in a vacuum. Let's face it, we live in a world where judgments are being made every day. So when we read the passage of Scripture that says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, we automatically hear things. We have pictures that come up in our minds. Um, while some of the judgments that each of us tend to make or are affected by are rather benign, like, um, where are we going to eat after church? Who are we going to invite with us? Uh, what TV show am I going to watch later this afternoon? Who am I going to root for Monday night, uh, in the finals? Um, some of them are benign while others are rather weighty. What we think about that person, what they are wearing, what they are doing, what they are saying, how they are living, I find myself asking the question, why is it so easy for me to judge others, many of whom I know nothing about? It's one thing to be intrigued by, fascinated by, captured by, or interested in another person, but when we take that next step of evaluating someone based on certain criteria, we enter into a very dangerous place. 
It's a weighty place. It's a place where there's a lot of burden put on us because of these judgments we want to make. And I realized that I judge people based on preconceived ideas. Maybe you can understand that with me. Um, Think about this. What preconceived ideas do you have about others? Think about it. I, I mean, is there any one person or a group of people that you tend to have preconceived thoughts about? When you see them, the first thing that comes to your mind is that, even though that may not be true, but it's what you've been programmed to think. I, I judge based on what I think, uh, what I think rather than what I know, oftentimes. Now, we can judge people based on what we know to be true, but this requires relationship. I think about two people in an accountability relationship. And that kind of relationship gives permission between the people uh, for the other to speak truth into that person's life. That kind of relationship expects for you to make certain judgment calls. Like, hey, you asked me to call you on the table, uh, to the table on, on these things. And and I, and I just kind of see you doing those things that you asked me to hold you accountable to. That's a good thing. And we need more of that. We need more of those relationships that give us permission to speak life into other people and to check them at times in their life. And I just want to say, if you don't think you need to be checked, you probably need to rethink kind of where you're at. Because we live in community. We live in a broken world. We are surrounded by things affecting us, causing us to to do things that probably aren't the best ideas. And we need people in our life who are going to say, I love you too much to not say anything. But I would encourage you not to just go up to any old person on the street and say, hey, I want to speak some truth into your life. How would that go for you? If some stranger walked up to you and said, hey, I just have a word from the Lord for you. You might, that might go well, but more times than often, that does not go very good. But let's be real for a moment. Even in the midst of a relationships with someone, we can tend to be rather, I don't know if this is a word either, judgy. Judgy, your, your words for today, judgy and cacophonic. It is a word? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Why, why do we judge? Um, what is the motivation behind making assessments of others? Uh, where are we trying to get to when we are, are making judgments? I, I think I have an answer. At least I have an answer in part. We judge so that we can put people in a category so that we know how to deal with them. Sometimes those categories uh, are erroneous, but they're at least these boxes that we can put someone in and say, oh, that's that kind of person. Or, oh, that's that kind of person. Sometimes we read, uh, we judge the book by the cover and we throw them in a box that they may not, uh, probably shouldn't be in because that's 
That's not them. Our passage this morning calls us to answer a question. Are you willing to be judged based on the same criteria that you judge others? Now, this is a message that hits hard home with me, and I'm guessing it's going to stick its finger in your life as well. Because, folks, we all do it. But my hope and my prayer is that as a church, as a people of God, we would be checked in our spirit as we make those judgments. And we might be a people who, who learn how to repent and say, dude, I am off base there. I need a change in my life. I need, I need Jesus. As the, the phrase uh, last week or the week before, Satan, not today, Satan. Ain't gonna happen today. The boxes, the categories, those are the problems. To say that some boxes are worth dealing with while others aren't is to say that some people are worth our grace while others are not. That is why God wants you to really wrestle with the question, are you willing to be judged on the same criteria that you judge others? Do we want God to judge us in the same graceless way we often judge others? I think we all would say, no, (laughs) don't want to do that. But can we allow that to transition us and to transform us to a people who recognize that we need to be those people of grace? We need to lead with that. So judging others often reduces them to the sum total of their actions. You are rarely the sum total of your actions. Have you ever acted in a way that is not true with what you're feeling inside? (laughs) Yes. I, I think oftentimes we wear masks, and that's why here at Real Life, we really do want you to start your faith journey off by living real. That's where we want you to start, which means let's, let's just own our junk. Let's own our dysfunction, our brokenness, our heartache. After a lot of reflection, I do believe that those people who have hurt me the most did not intend on hit hurting me the most. That, that wasn't their initial motivation by what they said to me or what they did to me. Now, if it was, I mean, if they set out that day to say, I'm going to devastate Jeremy, then I firmly believe that that comes from a place of brokenness and heartache inside them that is completely different. We might want to react to that. We might want to judge that. Like, how dare you say that to me? But could we pause long enough to realize, wait a minute, they may be speaking out of darkness in their own life. Are we willing to offer someone grace? I I have found, and maybe, I think this may be a personality issue. Um, I find it much less complicating to my life to assume that what people said to me or what I think I heard them say or what I think that look inferred is not at all what I want to think it means. That, that comes from a place of, of grace where we can say, I'm pretty sure that's, I'm, I'm reading that wrong. 
at least giving people an opportunity. Because if we jump to those conclusions, say, no, that's exactly what they said, I'm going to get back at them, where does that land us? It doesn't land us in a very good place at all. In fact, it kind of lands us in our world today. What I've just said is rooted in the reality of grace that assumes that people are created in the image of God. A grace-giving, loving, generous God, when we act in ways that do not exhibit that reality, it is because of death, decay, and destruction in, a light, in the life of a person that, that has become marred in that image. It has been skewed. It has been made nasty. It's like you're, you've taken your vehicle mudding and it has gotten all sorts of messed up. And what you now see is really not what's underneath the cover. So why would I judge them when it is the sin at work in them that I have the problem with? Can we learn to differentiate the difference between the sin at work in someone's life and the person themselves? The person is always created in the image of God. Yes, and I think our, my hope and my prayer is that that image would be resurrected in all of us. And I would hope that we as a people would want that for other people, even the people who we tend to be kind of judgy about. What if, what if we led with the grace of resurrection? Then um, the chaos of judgment. So what do you want for the people around you? Think about the people in your life, your, your mom, your dad, your kids, uh, siblings, neighbors, coworkers, boss, the person driving next to you down Old Fort or up 24. What do you want for them? What is your heart's desire? When you see someone, is there a prayer that emanates from inside of you that says, Lord, I want you to be Lord of their life I want resurrection to be their reality. What if we were to, what, was, what if that welled up in us before anything else? I think that we would find ourselves a lot less stressed. We, we, would, we would not be sucked in to the black hole of chaos. And we would actually be able to be ambassadors of resurrection in the lives of other people. In the depths of your heart, what is your desire for others? Now, I want you to put a hold on that for a second, and let me ask you another question. And I want you to lay that question alongside of this other one. What is God's desire for those same people? Should it not be that our desire for them is the same as God's desire for them? And I wonder if sometimes by the way we judge people, we put them in boxes, we categorize them, we actually push them off the table of God's grace that we are invited to every day. If we are going to take Jesus at his word, how do his words in John 10, 10 affect the questions before us today? In John 10, 10, he says this, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. If our actions towards others lead to life being stolen, 
killed or destroyed, Jesus says that you are a thief. You are a thief that steals life from others. Even those who may not seem like they have very much life, we are thieves who steal the life that God has for them. However, I can think of no better reality to describe what Jesus has just said there than than the thing that we gather every Sunday to celebrate, especially on Easter. The word is resurrection. Resurrection. That is what Jesus wants for all people, those who show up in churches on Sunday mornings and any other time during the week, but also those who have never darkened the doors of a church. Those who say, I don't want Jesus. I don't need God. God wants resurrection for them. And so do we. Is resurrection what you desire for others? Your desire for resurrection in the life of others will be determined by the narratives you allow to give direction to your life on a daily basis. Resurrection people take to heart all that comes with the reality of resurrection, and they become driven by that type of resurrection. It's like the life that beats inside of us that cannot be contained inside of us. That narrative, that reality begins to bleed out on others. There's a, there's a troubling narrative that I keep wrestling with that I want to bring, bring our attention to. Um, I continue to be grieved by the events that unfolded on February 23rd, 2020 in Brunswick, Georgia. Um, I am troubled by this on many levels, so bear with me for a moment. On that day, Ahmad Arbery went out for a run, and the day ended for him in a puddle of blood on a road in a neighborhood that he was running through. On that day, one black young black man was killed, and the events of that day would lead to two men being sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and another man being sentenced to at least 30 years for his part in the events. On that day, a young man, black man, was judged to be the perpetrator of some recent construction site burglaries. Three citizens from that neighborhood took it upon themselves to try and detain Ahmad. And the ensuing struggle left Ahmad dead. Um, I don't know if you've watched it, but I watched the body cam footage of the police interviewing Gregory McMichael, the dad of Travis, the one who actually held the gun that ended up killing Ahmad. And what's weird about that video is that Gregory, there was not a hint in him that they had done anything wrong. Um, Gregory, from what he said in the video, uh, he has, had worked in the police force before. He knew the protocols. He knew what they were doing. He was giving factual information about the days of the event that were somehow kind of lifeless. They were just statements about a tragedy that had happened that day. So here's, here's where my struggle comes in. Where does the fault lie for the events of that day? 
Was it Travis McMichael who wielded the shotgun? Was it Gregory McMichael who drove the vehicle? Was it the neighbor William Bryan who played a part? While Travis, Gregory, and William acted in such a way that led to Ahmad's death, I want to suggest something, and I want to do so without sounding like I'm diminishing their decisions that day. When we place ourselves in a position of passing judgment on others because we think we have all the facts and our guiding narrative says that it is our right to carry out justice on another, we become pawns in the destruction of sin that dehumanizes others. We buy into a narrative that does not have resurrection as its ultimate reality. What grieves me about that day is you don't see a lot of resurrection. In the footage, you don't see a lot of resurrection in the court proceedings afterwards. The whole thing smacks of sin's triumph over humanity. Church, grace is not defensive. Grace is the generous offensive. Not like that's offensive to me. It's the offensive effort of resurrected Jesus and his people. Church, let us be agents of grace instead of purveyors of some convoluted notion of justice. God doesn't need us to be judge and jury. God needs us to be givers of grace. You may say that we have to advocate for justice. We have to stand up for what is right. And I would agree with you. We do need to stand up for things that are, that are wrong, that should be right. But the justice we are to stand for is one that is directly connected to the God who defines justice. And in our world today, especially in our country, we find people striving for justice that is disconnected from God. Folks, it ain't going to work. Let's work towards the reality of God in this world, but let's consider that the grace of a resurrected people may speak louder than the justice of a secular society that wants its way more than it wants God's reality to be fully established here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's talk about logs and specs for a moment. I chuckled this morning. Uh, um, Merity walked in and she was brushing something out of her eye. And I'm like, uh, speck in your eye? She's like, yeah, I got something in here. It's driving me nuts. And Sarah's like, you came on a good Sunday because <laughs> we're talking about it. Jesus makes a point of mentioning the issue of specks and logs. Lent is that time of self-reflection, of fasting, of repentance. It's its purpose is to reveal to us the places where we have fallen short of what God has called us to. It's a, it's a season of removing things that hinder us. And it's about embracing things that move us deeper into our relationship with Jesus. To live continually in a posture of self-reflection, fasting, and repentance is an important rhythm for God's people. 
Removing a plank requires acknowledging that there is a plank. This isn't so easy to do. Um, realizing that uh, you are part of the problem is tough for anyone. For just a moment, let's not worry about all the things in the world that are broken that need fixing. For a brief moment, let's not worry about doing our part and making everything right. For just a moment, let us be fully present in our Lenten journey. What are those things in your own lives that need to be dealt with so that we might fully be able to be who God has called us to be? Planks have this amazing ability to affect our vision. I remember one time I was working uh, at Christie's parents' house. We were laying a new floor in their living room or in their dining room and kitchen. And uh, I bought the, the very thin underlayment that you lay down first and you tack it down all over the place. And, and I was cutting it with a circular saw. And that stuff fractures really easily. And of course, I was wearing safety glasses, not. Um, and one of these pieces was, was small enough, but it got into my eye. And as we all do, you try to flush it out of your eye. You, you try to get it, get it out. And invariably, what I had done is I actually scratched my eye with this little piece of something. I ended up having to go and have it looked at, looked at and get it treated because I had done such damage to my eye because of this small, small, small fleck of, of wood. It changed my vision. I could not see, I could not drive myself to get care. I had to have someone else do it for me. And if that's the kind of problem that such a small piece of wood in my eye can, can do, what do you think a log in my eye is going to do? For those of you who are squeamish, don't think about this too long, too long. But can you imagine your inability to see things correctly if there's a log in your eye? I think God is wanting us to take the logs out of our eyes so that we might be able to see things as they really are. That we might be able to see people for who they are. We might be able to see people as the created image bearers of God. But logs oftentimes prevent us from seeing people for who they are. They're like, they're, they're blurry images. And sometimes we take action on blurry images. I encourage you, don't do that. Let's deal with the dysfunction in our own hearts and our minds and our, our, in our beings so that we might be able to see people for who, exactly who they are. And we might be able to offer them grace. I, I will never remember. I will never remember. <laughs> I'll never forget a conversation I had with Norman Cox before they moved away. I said, Norman, why real life? Why do you and Zilpha, why did you pick this church? He said, well, pastor, uh, after I retired from ministry, I realized I had things I still needed to learn. And I wanted to learn them here. That blew me away. I just love that kind of generous spirit where Norman says, I, I, want, I want to show up at a place that is not what I was accustomed to pastoring, but I want to be here. And he, he went on, and this is where the profoundness of Norman, uh, this conversation was, and it was this. He said, Pastor, before I showed up at Real Life, I 
I never noticed people dealing with addictions. I never gave it a second thought. I didn't notice them out there. And I, I, through my time here at Real Life and through my conversations with Pastor Craig, I see them. I recognize things about them that I never used to. That is the kind of generous, grace-giving spirit I think God wants all of us to have. That we might be able to see other people the way God would see them. What do you see when today when you look at others? Do you see what is on the surface or have you developed the ability to see under the surface? It's my prayer that as we live into God's good news reality, that we will first be captured by the fact that each and every person is created in the image of God. And because of that, we find ourselves compelled to love them with great grace. It's my prayer that we will come to understand that grace isn't about disregarding or overlooking the death, decay, or destruction in other people. In fact, grace is something we become able to offer in spite of those things. It's my prayer that we will see people not as the sum total of their brokenness, but rather as the sum total of their sacredness in the eyes of God. Who would you invite to the table? Jesus invites us all. I want to know who would you invite to your table to eat with, to live life with? You were invited to the table of our Lord just a few minutes ago. You came and received gifts of grace that Jesus determined long ago he wanted you to have. And I wonder, could we be a church that begins living our life in such a way that we are determined to invite people to our table in the midst of their brokenness and heartache and death and destruction, and we would invite them to the table because we have gifts of grace to offer them. Not gifts that they deserve, but gifts that we want to give because we recognize that those gifts will exact more change than the kind of judgment that keeps them away from our tables. I'd like to leave you with a story. In college, my grandfather uh, played a little basketball um, and he ran cross country. I've mentioned this to you before, but um, I, he gave me his cross country medals from college. They're in, they're in the office, prized possessions of mine. If this place is ever going down in a fire, please break in and get my medals. You can let everything else go. I want my medals. Um, but I remember my grandfather sharing stories of his time running and the friends he had. Uh, my grandfather was always about relationships. And he tells me the story of a guy by the name of Ray Crow. Ray Crow ran cross country with my grandfather. He also played basketball with my grandfather. And um, if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen the movie Hoosiers, who's seen the movie Hoosiers? Okay, if you haven't, you need to watch it. It's kind of slow moving, not kind of up to par to today's high paced movies, but I recommend you watch it. The last game in Hoosiers, the other coach, that's Ray Crow. That's the guy who my grandfather was friends with. And my grandfather tells the story 
of, of uh, a time when they were coming back from, I, I don't know if it was a basketball game or a cross-country meet, but they stopped at a diner. Now, a little piece of information you need to know. If you've watched the movie, you know what I'm about to say. Ray Crow was an African-American man. My grandfather tells the story of them walking into the diner in the era of where segregation was at its peak and we had laws that supported it. They sat down to eat and the waiter came over, or maybe it was the owner, I don't know, came over and said, uh, boys, we'd be happy to serve you, but that boy's got to go outside. And their coach, who I think was probably a very grace-filled, resurrection type of a guy, said, boys, if Ray can't eat, neither can we. So they got up and they walked out. That made an impression on my grandfather. That impression then made an influence on my aunts and uncles, my mom. And it's left an impression upon me. And I want to ask us, church, who are we going to invite to our table? Is there anyone who is not worthy? Is there anyone who we have put in a box because we don't want to deal with them? Church, who are we going to invite to our table. Do you stand with me this morning? I want us to pray, but I want you in the midst of these moments, I want you to go with, to God and say, God, who do I need to invite to my table? God, I pray this morning that you would allow your word to cut through the barriers in our lives that it might get to the heart of who we are and it might exact the kind of resurrection change that's necessary. God, we want to be people who look like you, sound like you, talk like you, love like you, invite ourselves over to other people's houses like you. We want to be the kind of people who look at others caught in adultery and say, get up, go and sin no more. We want to be the kind of people who look at others gathered at wells and other establishments and say, hey, I have something to offer you that you have no idea about. Lord Jesus, I pray that we could be that people. Help us to recognize that the kingdom comes through powerful gifts of grace that have the power to transform brokenness rather than just overlook it. God, I pray that we might be those kind of people who buy into your narrative for us and that we might recognize when there are other narratives that are trying to sneak into our lives that will compete with you. Lord Jesus, may we be your people today and tomorrow and the next day and the next and may people's lives encounter resurrection because of us. The world's dying for it. Lord, help us be that people. In your name, amen.
Church, this week, as we are sent from this gathering, may we find ourselves agents of the transformative grace of God that has more power to exact change in someone's life than our bitter words and hardened hearts will ever accomplish. Church, until we meet again, might we receive the grace of God? Might we be blessed by that? And might we just give that away to others? Until we meet again, may we be that people. Amen. Bless week. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you'd like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org slash give. Thanks again for listening.